What on earth? What are you mean? underneath? Are you underneath that superhero blanket? I am underneath the superhero blanket. I've built myself a little tent. You've built yourself a fort, like when we were kids. Exactly. I was just well, not like you and I together as kids. No, when, that, that would have been one were, when people were kids. Uh, yeah, no, I've built myself a man fort to record in because uh, the despite there being like soundproofing up on the walls, the room mm-hmm. is still quite echoey and it's it's horrible to listen to especially mm-hmm. with my voice because i've quite quite a shrill voice um it's it's not great whereas you're, you're you've a lower <laughs> register so you're you're kind of okay on that that front um, yeah I, i've put um critics have described as a rich caramel baritone <laughs> a rich caramel those dulcet tones those dulcet mcgrathian tones <laughs> <laughs> The Flag Institute uh, on Twitter, uh, the UK's national flag charity, is doing this cool thing at the moment where they're doing the World Cup of flags. So for okay. those those who don't know, the uh, football or soccer World Cup is is coming up very soon, uh, which is class, and I can't wait. Uh, and this crowd has decided to uh, pit the flags against each other um, in the format of the World Cup. Um, so, oh, cool! So it's like got a group stage, and then a knockout thing. It's really cool. Uh, I think yesterday was the first day, and the winners uh, from the groups uh, were Uruguay, Morocco, and Denmark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the runners up were Egypt, Portugal, and Australia. So today, as we're recording, this is the sixth, the fifth of June. Uh, some stage today, the next three groups, Group D, E, and F, are going to be voted on on Twitter. I'll leave links to all this in the show notes so you should go check it out and uh, so i just want to get your opinion bill on the various flags and who you would go for uh before we start the show you up for that yeah sure uh right so here in group d we have argentina iceland nigeria and this is one of those ones that i always <laughs> get confused hold on judging on the emoji i'm gonna say croatia uh, but it's hard to tell because it's so small. Yeah, I think it is Croatia. I confuse Croatia and Slovakia. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're similar colors, and they both have a have a seal on them. Um, a heraldic seal, not a not a, <laughs> not a naval seal. No, wait, no naval seal means like I mean like special forces. When I actually meant like a cute animal. Um, a maritime seal. A um, an animal I guess. seal. An aquatic seal? An aquatic, a, fa- a fauna seal. Uh, Are they pinnipeds? I, I have no idea, man. I think they're pinnipeds. I'm not that involved. Yes, I'm, not a pinniped. I'm into my octopodes, not my seals. <laughs> <laughs> um, of those, uh, th- that's that's quite a strong group, I think. Okay, so, so to recap, right? So Argentina, Croatia, Iceland, Nigeria. Strong group. What's uh, What do you think? Um, hmm. This is tough. Um, I think Iceland seems like the obvious one, just because the the Nordic cross design is so classic, mm-hmm. you know, and it's so effective, and it's you know it's bold colors. It's a red cross with white borders on like a deep blue background. Mm-hmm. I have a bit of a fondness for the Nigerian flag, though. There's nothing wrong with being simple. It's yeah. It's, it's just it's nice. It's nice and straightforward and effective. And it's you. You you're not going to confuse Nigeria with anywhere else. I can't think of any flag off the top of my head that looks like Nigeria. No, you could, and you could change it just very very slightly to get the Irish flag. You could. You could. <laughs> Bill's voting system. How close is this flag to Ireland? Ergo, it wins. 
that's that's only one factor. Um, I guess I guess is it a different green? I'm not sure how they specified the green for the Irish flag, and I don't know what the what the and it's a one to two proportion. The Nigerian flag is uh, according to Wikipedia properly. It's a one to two proportion. Oh, like us. Um, like us. So uh, I'm going to go with Nigeria. Uh, real time follow up here. Uh, the green in the Irish flag apparently has a hex value of 169B62 for Photoshop and GIMP nerds. I'm not entirely sure if that's accurate Wikipedia because I don't think the constitution states that the <laughs> the color should be 169B62, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure it gets the job done. Is, is, is that in hex? That is in hex, yes. That is a, a, so a hex triplet. So the Nigerian one is oh, uh, 008753. For the green? So it, it, yes, it the is a very green, different one. green starts with zero, zero. Wow. Apparently. That's interesting. Um, I I was going to go with Iceland. Uh, you're making me want to go Nigeria. Uh, it's good reasoning. And the, when I said that uh, Nigeria can't, can't be confused for anyone else, I was like, oh, that's a really strong point. But I'm going to stick with my guns. I'm going to go Iceland. So I'm, I, I'm Team Iceland. You're Team Nigeria. We'll see who wins. What do you think cool. about Group E? Um, so we've got Brazil. Uh, is that Thailand? Uh, I think that's Costa Rica. Really? I'm pretty sure it's Costa Rica. <laughs> Flag nerds don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> oh, you know what? I think you're right. Uh, I think you're right. Oh, he is. He, yeah. he very much is. <laughs> Thailand, Thailand doesn't have that the thing on it. What what what's the country that has like the temple on it? Then is that Cambodia? That's Cambodia. Mm. Is that in similar colors? Uh, yes, but there's no white as far as I remember. Apart from like the temple is white, but oh, okay, I I had conflated the two in my head. Um, so it's Costa Rica, Switzerland, and that's Slovakia. Oh the, yeah, the, I don't know about that. I th- oh no, hold on, wait, Serbia. That's no, another one. Hold on. Is it is it, <laughs> is it Serbia? Could be Serbia. See, this, 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 these are like, yeah, that's another one in the category that I confuse. Um, yeah, I think that is Serbia. Hey, we should do this for like the African Cup of Nations. Oh, wait, if I just like hold my mouse over the over the, the thing, it'll tell me. Oh, that's much that's much easier. Um, mm. So I know, to be fair as well here, when we're, vo- when we're figuring out uh, which ones we like, we need to uh, like... Diff- it, it, it's purely aesthetic, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, okay, good. Because th- there'll be a few couple of times here where you're kind of like, I have a real fondness for X country. And you're like, I didn't, mm-hmm. I'll go with that. But we're just judging aesthetically. So aesthetically, out of this, Brazil, Costa Rica, Switzerland, or Serbia. What do you think? Um, There's only one answer here, Bill. Hold on a second. What? So do you know the... <laughs> What's he Googling? What? What's he googling? Do you know the um the tennis player Roger Federer? I do. He was um he gave an interview that I saw a, a couple of years ago. I think it was on Sky Sports or something like that. Um, talking about being, you know, the uh, you know, world famous athlete and all the stuff he he'd achieved, and um, kind of his his relationship with his identity it was kind of a strange one for. Uh, for a, a sports channel. Mm. Uh, kind of an unusual interview. But it, was, it was really interesting. 
But one of the things he he was asked is what he felt about, you know, being from Switzerland and being uh, Switzerland's most famous kind of athletic ambassador mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, what his relationship with, you know, having a Swiss identity was. And he said, well, the fact it's a big plus. I mean, yeah, he's, he's right. He's unequivocally right. Because it's literally a big plus. Oh, I didn't get that. Did he read it like that? No, I made that up. Oh. Well, no, I didn't make that up. That, that is a joke that, uh, that, that I, I, I oh. love. I, oh, I, it's, 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 it's not my coinage, but it's, oh, it's one God, of my favorite I feel, jokes. I feel so stupid. I feel so stupid for not getting that. It is a big plus, yes. Uh, that, is, that is what the flag is. <laughs> anyway, so does, are you airing on the side of Switzerland here? Um, okay, I'm, I'm going to discount, um, I'm going to discount Serbia, just for confusing me. <laughs> um, Bold Serbia. Serbia gone. <laughs> Costa Rica, it's, it's great. Well, it's, it's fine, like, but it's not, it's not great. It wouldn't, wouldn't be my, among my favorites. Uh, I think Brazil and Switzerland are both really strong, but I'm going to go with the, with the, I'm going to go with Switzerland. Yeah, Switzerland's the right answer. It's the square flag. It's, it's, yeah. it's really unique. Uh, it's, it's got to be there. And it's really bold and striking. Um, what's what's the Vatican ratio flag? The, what's the ratio of the Vatican flag? Oh, it's one to one, I think, as well. But I mean, it like, is as well. you're not going to get the Vatican competing in sports tournaments. Not frequently. No. <laughs> no, it doesn't happen very often. So in this sphere, I think Switzerland is is quite unique. Um, yeah. Group E, Switzerland. Switzerland wins. Uh, I think you're right about Brazil being second second place. Um, I mean, it's a really it's a really good flag. It's a really well. I mean, actually, maybe it's a little bit too. Uh, picky if you get into like the, the text and stuff but it works it works without that I mean the emoji yes. doesn't have text in it and it's still perfectly identifiable so that's probably a little bit of a pedantic um, yeah pedantic criticism it's a very visually strong flag it's got nice colours in it um, but Switzerland is square Switzerland is square and it's got a giant plus sign on it uh, mm-hmm. Group F what do we think for Group F? So, um, I can actually, I do, I, I do know all of these. <laughs> We've got Sweden. We do. We have South Korea, Mexico, and Germany. Uh, so, what do we think in here? Um, I think this is a really strong group. Yes. Yes. This, I think this is the strongest of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Sweden, very simple, uh, kind of unusual colors, but I like the colors. Um, Germany, now, partially, uh, this would be kind of what you warned me against there, mm. like a, a fondness for the country, because I like Germany. Have you I got, do like hang the f- on, hang on, have you got a fondness for Germany? Yeah. Oh, sure, you speak a little bit of German. Yeah, and oh. I, like, I visited, ich habe seit fünf oder sechs Mal besucht. Um, Give or take, that was... Somewhat correct German. <laughs> it was understandable. It wasn't. It wasn't accurate, but it was understandable. This is, um, to be fair, Bill, this is how I operate when I speak German. It's like you just need to understand broad strokes here, people. We're not getting minutia with my German. Yeah. Um, so I, I do like that. I have, I have positive associations specifically with the flag from. Uh, it's like when I went to see Rammstein in Germany, and they like they covered the stage with a big German flag, and then it dropped like at the start of the concert, and then it dropped to reveal the stage setup, and that was really cool. Mm. Um, uh, I I like them. I like the Mexican flag. Um, again, it may be a little bit picky with the the intricacy of the seal. Mm. Um, 
it's it's a little harder to make out than it is the Brazilian flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think South Korea has to win. Oh, well played. I'm with you as well. South Korea's South Korea's flag is great. Mm-hmm. It's really, really, really great. I really love it. And that's trying to disassociate my feelings towards South Korea from having been there for a bit. Uh, I think, yeah. yeah, as a flag, I think it works really, really well. Uh, second place for me would probably be Sweden in that one. Okay. Like, the German flag is good, but it's going to sound terrible. Uh, but it, like, it's very evil looking. <laughs> like, the colors are very, like, you know, like fire. Like, it's very much like, if you think of, like, a superhero, uh, a comic supervillain or whatever, it'd be like, what's his color scheme? Chances are you might do something like red, black, and yellow. Um so I'm always kind of like, it's really, I don't know, the, the flag's really weird. It, uh, I, I don't particularly like it. Like, it's nice colours, but yeah, it just looks, it looks comically evil to me. Okay. Uh, and Mexico's seal is way too detailed. I think it's got something like 20 odd colours or something like that in it. Like, it's really detailed. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So South Korea wins that one. So our our picks. Th- that's That's fair, but it does have... Uh, an eagle killing a snake, which is pretty cool. It, it does, it does. That that that's fair, but it it's a pity that you can't see it uh, half the time. <laughs> I joke, Mexico. I'm so sorry. We have at least one listener who is a. Uh, oh, what would the word be for someone who really likes Mexico? Because, like, you know, we have like francophile, like someone who really yeah. likes France. Is there a word for Mexico? Oh, I don't know. Um. I've been running into this problem recently an awful lot because, like, I really like the U.S., given that I do most of my business in the U.S., and I spend most of my time talking to U.S. people. It's a Mexicophile. Mexicophile. That's, that's, yeah. a, that's a mouthful. Um, I really want there to be a word to describe someone who likes the U.S., but there's also no, no word for that. Like, Americanophile? Like, it's, there's no... Yankophile. Yeah, yank, man, yank is a weird one. Is yank an insult? Like, I've talked to Americans before, and they say, no, it's fine. When Europeans call us yanks, it's kind of cute and funny. But I'm kind of like, but but it is a bit of an insult. Like, you know, if we weren't insulting you, we'd say you're American. But, you know, when we say you're yanks, they're kind, there's a connotation to that. So I, I'm hesitant to use that word. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Uh, or can one insult the dominant superpower? Like, maybe it's like open game because they're such so dominant that yeah. it's kind of like, whatever, man, we'll just call you. It makes no difference. We're only little people. By definition, it's punching up. Like, you can't, yeah. you can't punch down on the superpower. Exactly, um, exactly. I mean, it could be worse. You could be calling them septics. S- septics? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Is this so, stuff that we should cut from the show? What is a septic? It's a rhyming slang. Septic tank rhymes with yank. Uh, all right. Yeah. Is that worse? Well, I mean, I guess being called septic is, would seem kind of insulting. I mean, it is only rhyming slang in, in its derivation, but uh, still. <laughs> yeah, so it, that, that's a bit of a non sequitur, though. If, if you were to say that, I'd be like, where, where is a tread coming from uh, there? But anyway, 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 so flags, right? So uh, uh, list out your winners there again for me. Uh, so my winners were Nigeria, mm-hmm. Switzerland, and South Korea. And so I was Iceland, Switzerland, and South Korea. Uh, next time we record, or on Twitter, I will, I'll put up how we did. 
Um, mm-hmm. go, go, go follow uh, the Flag Institute. It's really fun. I think it's a really fun little thing to do. And given as well, like, I don't want to stand on a soapbox here, right? But given how much, like, vitriol and, like, awfulness there is uh, on the internet... It's really nice to open up a feed and just be like, let's all look at the pretty emoji and vote on the emoji. And it's really mm. fun and lovely. And I think it's 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 good for people to do, I think. So go go check it out. And they've also got like a cute dog wearing a, an Italian outfit. They do, and despite pizza. the fact and that Italy are not in the thing, but you know. And it's, it's happy people waving flags and stuff. So yes, it's, it's a beacon of positivity on Twitter. A beacon of positivity, exactly. All right, uh, shall we start the show proper? <laughs> Let's start the show proper. Twenty minutes in. Twenty minutes in. Show proper. Okay. Um, so let's do some mailroom fodder. I'd like to start. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a very uh, Edgar-centric mailroom. I'm really sorry. I haven't engineered this. Just a lot of the emails were kind of very pointed towards me um so all you all you billophiles billophile <laughs> uh graphophile no go with bill billophile all you billophiles uh will just need to just like go make a cup of tea during the segment uh so we got an email from a dc who went and did some uh investigative uh journalism for us or no like private investigation um and uncovered uh, my painting. Remember, I was complaining. I think it was last was it last show or the show beforehand uh, that the Texaco uh, Texaco had like lost my painting forever. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that is not the case. There is a PDF with a very low res <laughs> image <laughs> of this painting, which I will link if anyone is interested in checking out uh, past Edgar's artwork. I had a look at it last night, and I was like. It's not bad. Past Edgar did okay. Um, there are bits in it where I'm kind of like, oh, Jesus, that's Sky Edgar. Like, I don't know. I don't know what you're thinking about those, with those clouds. But other than that, I think it's uh, I think it's pretty solid for a 14-year-old. It's like, I'm proud of you, Past Edgar. It was good. Good work. Uh, so links links in the show notes if you want to go check it out. And I oh, I, I also figured out, I also remembered that I also did well in another national art competition, which I had totally forgotten about. When I was four, I got some sort of like certificate of merit <laughs> from like the Irish version of Bob Ross. And I was like, I, that had completely left my memory. And I was like, oh yeah, I did that too. And I was like, that's very interesting. So who was that? Uh, 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 Don, no, it's not Don Conroy. Hold on, hold on. Let me... Let me find the guy. Um, you mentioned Don Conroy, though. I was actually just talking about this last week. When I was, what, six, I reviewed a Don Conroy book on the local radio. And a number of years le- later, my sister met him and uh, got a signed, like, original drawing of the character from the book for me. And I still have it at home in my parents' house. No way. Yeah. You did a was- radio review. I did. It was a book called The Tiger Who Was a Roaring Success. Because <laughs> a lot of his books were about animals. For anyone who, who's not familiar, which will be nearly all of you, um, <laughs> this was a, a children's author in the, I guess in the 90s, who wrote a lot of books, mainly about animals, and illustrated them himself. Um, and yeah, this that was the one that, that I reviewed on uh, CKR, which was the local radio station at the time. I How? Was six. You were six? About that. Well, maybe I was a little bit older, but I wasn't much older. Wow. Did you like the book? Or did you give it a scathing review? Um, oh, I tore it apart. The <laughs> facile, 
pedestrian prose. No, I love that. I love that. <laughs> I wonder if there is there ever a case of like some kid who goes on and reviews a book where the the person's like, "So what did you think about this book, little Tommy?" And the kid's just like, "Terrible. Prose are awful. Dull, boring. Much rather read insert book X here." It never happens. All kids are always like, "I thought it was great." Um Anyway, your man's name, I looked it up, your man's name is Frank Clark. Oh, okay. It was the painter, and he had a show called uh, Simply Painting, where he would do the Bob Ross thing, and he would, like, you know, talk softly and paint stuff with you. Um, and you know, Bob Ross had the happy little trees, like, that was his shtick. Yeah. Uh, Frank Clark's shtick was the carrot oh, people. Oh, I remember him, Frank Clark, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, apparently, I did something of note in one of uh, his competitions when I was four, which is... Which is mental to me. And I totally, totally forgotten it. So thank you to DC for A, tracking down my painting and B, helping remember what my past life was like. Um, much appreciated. Yeah, cheers DC. That was cool. All right. Um, do you want to talk about some borders? Uh, yes, we got an email from Ashley mm-hmm. about borders um, saying, I know you'll eventually come to the subject of borders, but it is a big part of world building, so it has to be covered at some point. Um, and reminding us, don't forget subdivision borders. Make sure that provinces and things within countries make sense or that they're there. Um, so, you know, if we ever do get around to covering it, not to forget that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this, this is quite a quite an interesting topic. I hadn't really put that much thought in, in my reply here to the, the subdivisions, but I guess the, the same things apply. Uh, I I just be aware of when making when making these kind of decisions in your in your world building that borders as we think of them are fairly modern invention. Yeah. Um, a very kind of is it Westphalian uh, invention. So mm. after the was it the whatever the Treaty of Westphalia, which I think was in the sixteen hundreds, kind of established a lot of modern ideas about national sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, borders didn't really mean the same kind of thing. Uh, and in medieval times, it was just like whoever happened to be close enough to enforce that they could put taxes on you. Yeah, was what what made uh, legal jurisdiction. Um, in a lot of my world building, I'm trying to conceive of worlds that have different uh, ideas and have different ways of different social constructs and and means of interpreting the world. So not all of this is, not all of this Westphalian construction of borders and of sovereignty is necessarily relevant. And I would just say that's something that people should uh, consider and be aware of when put, building their worlds to not, you know, not make that the assumption that things are the same. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of cool things I'd, I'd like to point out or I'd like, like to bring up. There's um, enclaves are always really interesting. Mm-hmm. So this is where a country has a part of its territory entirely surrounded by another country. So an example of this, that the one that immediately springs to mind would be Russia's little enclave in Europe. Yes, uh, Kaliningrad. Yeah, yeah. I think what the Russians call it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, that's one. There's one between um, Armenia and Azerbaijan. I can never remember if it's an 
you've to cross Azerbaijan to get between two bits of Armenia or the other way around. Mm-hmm. We'll link um, we'll link a map in the show notes. Yeah. Um the most interesting one, I know this doesn't exist anymore. Uh but there used to be a, a place called Dahala Khagrabari. Dahala Khagrabari. Oh. Okay. Um I have definitely butchered that. <laughs> and it was a enclave of India within an enclave of Bangladesh, within an enclave of India, within Bangladesh. So it was a third level enclave. I think uh, that is a popular one for YouTube videos that talk about like geography and borders and things. Oh, almost certainly. I think, I think that was the world's only like third level enclave thing. I uh, think it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, is, which is madness. And I think more interesting than just like, oh, that's a thing that occurs, we could like transplant it onto a world, is to consider like, what are like structural ramifications of such a thing happening? Mm-hmm. Like if someone is running like daylight savings time, uh, and then like you have to cross through all these enclaves and the other country isn't, for example, like the concept of like continuously changing clocks as you go across a very small or potentially very small chunk of land is like yeah. an interesting thing. Like aside from, yeah, I think sometimes with borders, people just tend to be like, oh, enclaves are a thing. I'm going to put an enclave here and it's going to be super realistic. And like, be, I think you need to think it through and be like, how does it actually like uh, affect everyday life in those areas? Yeah. Absolutely. There, actually, that, that's an interesting one to, or a, example to bring up because I remember reading somewhere before that there is a part of um, somewhere in the States. Navajo Nation. Yes, I think that's yeah. right. Yeah. And there's, there's an enclave of uh, another nation yeah. within the reservation. And one of the nations uses daylight savings, and the other one doesn't, or something. Yeah, it's it's yeah. That's that's the thing I was thinking of when you uh, when you initially brought this up. I don't know exactly how it works off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's doing what, but yes, that occurs there. We're and totally on the same wavelength. It still occurs there, I think. Yeah, th- yeah, yeah. This this isn't like the indie example where it's gone. Um, it still occurs there, um, mm-hmm. which is mad, which is madness. Um, but yeah, borders. I think your point earlier was uh, was very good though, but like. Borders aren't uh, omnipresent. They're not like a fundamental to society. I think that's really, yeah, they're, really they're just a thing that we do. And like all things that we do, we haven't always done it that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I think like even like in the literature, like Lord of the Rings, for example, I don't think our borders are a hard thing in, in like Lord of the Rings. Do, I get the I impression. So. You think so? Okay. I don't think so. Oh, you I don't, don't think, so. think so? Yeah, because I get the no. impression they're kind of like, we are now crossing into the lands of whatever. Uh, mm. And I don't get the impression that there are any like borders per se. Like there's rough lines on a map, yeah. but it's not. It doesn't have the same sort of like um, enforcement that we assume uh, today. Yeah, and like you know, there's probably a border between Rohan and Gondor, but that's like you know bound by ancient treaties. It's not like that. This is an intellectual construct of the world mm-hmm. that is the same as the one we have. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, this is the land of the Rohirrim, and this is the land of the Gondorman. No, that's all there is to it. Um, I recently the, I, watched just, for, just sidetrack for a second. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm really, really sorry. This is such a waffly episode already. But uh, I recently rewatched uh, all of the Lord of the Rings um, in their extended form. Um, Look at you! It's really, it's really fun. Like it's really fun. I think each movie is about four hours, so you mm-hmm. have to kind of span it over the course of several days. But like, take a week or so and watch like an hour a day, and it's it's 
almost sort of like reading a book in that like you have to continuously come back to this thing. It's a really fascinating thing. And some of the deleted scenes, uh, while I get why they're deleted, they're really valuable to kind of see and be all like, oh, they did record that. And that's a part of this world. And mm-hmm. it's very, very interesting stuff. Like I would highly recommend people do that. Cool. I don't think I've ever seen the, the, the three of them in their, in their full their, their full glory. Yeah, and they don't drag as well. Like maybe mm-hmm. because I spit them up into like we an hour before bed each night, we'd we'd watch uh, a little bit. Uh, yeah, maybe if we tried to like do all four hours in one go, we'd be like Jesus Christ, make this end. Um, but yeah, no, it was really great. Just like seeing all the lore and seeing all the extra bits, and yeah, yeah, really great. And they're they're um, amazing movies. They really have like aside from the fact that the CG was a little bit too early, they really have stood the test of time. Like they're just fantastic movies. Maybe I'll maybe I'll make that a summer project. Do do and let me know about it definitely. Um, as regards the internal borders thing, uh, the the only thing I'd say is don't make things too uniform. Like, I think well, certainly when I started world building, um, I would try and make everything the same so that you know there was a, a strict hierarchy of every kind of division that there would be, say there was. Uh, a district within a region, within a province, within a state, and everything fell neatly into that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's more interesting when things are a bit messier. Um, and if you consider, if you look at kind of medieval Europe, when things overlapped and jurisdictions overlapped and there wasn't the same system applied evenly everywhere, uh, I think that can be more interesting. Yeah. And even if that's not necessarily how you do it for the the contemporary version of your con world, make it a historical concern and, you know, use that, oh, well, it used to be like this and that can spice things up and mm. you know, add a little bit of complexity and a little bit of flavor. Yeah, definitely. Um, this is probably a uh, somewhat simplistic point, but mm-hmm. I suppose one wor- worth making. Uh, geography plays a role here. Um, oh, yeah. Like, I think sometimes people shy away from straight borders Uh because borders need to be all like squiggly and things like that. But like, obviously you don't need a big squiggly border over desert when no one's there. You can just draw a straight line. Um, so the terrain and the, what's called how dense population is mm-hmm. around certain areas will inform the shape and size of borders. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, because I think sometimes people just uh, almost like they create little mini world maps within their continents. Do you know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to thinking through it a little bit more. A simplistic point, but I think an important point nonetheless. No, absolutely. Rivers and mountains and things will tend to cause natural borders. And always split they're... those rivers. It's important. <laughs> always split rivers. Um, so yeah, just like keep, thing, keep things keep uh, things like interesting and, and don't make it too uniform. And even in modern times, you know, we, we were talking about the states there and how there was the Navajo Nation um so there was like that that reservation land, but there was a another nation within that, and I think that reservation spans two or it, it crosses the border of two different states in the southwest. Mm. Uh, so you know, mix things up. Yeah. Um. Consider like a lot of places in in Europe have a lot of countries in Europe have autonomous regions and autonomous communities within that, like Italy and Spain and stuff have autonomous regions. So make things more interesting that way. That, cool. Uh, that's a good email. And I will uh, attempt to make a video at some stage about this, but this is lower level stuff. Uh, we still have to get out of the atmosphere. Uh, but but stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, so, final email on my end I'd like to bring up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was from a, a chap called Michael Sullivan. Uh, and this is this is just me massaging my ego. So again, I'm sorry. But uh, years ago, I gave a talk in a school in Dublin here about like how to make YouTube videos. They they were doing a, um, a like a science and technology day, and uh, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, someone was asking like, "Oh, you make videos? Why don't you come and show the kids how to you know use cameras and do the things, whatever?" And I did, and then look like it was fine. Most of the kids were kind of like, "Oh, he's a YouTuber. That's great." And then when they saw that I didn't have numbers like Jack Septic guy, they were kind of like boring. But there was. <laughs> There was one chap, uh, this guy, Michael, who came up to me at the end and, I was, and he was kind of like, that was really cool. I really enjoyed it. And he really seemed to like get what world building was. And mm-hmm. I was kind of like, oh, that's really neat. And then I, I kind of like noted that and then forgot about it over the years. And he sends an email and being all like, do you remember me? I was at that school. I'm world building now. I do all this. Thank you so much for all the things. And that is so cool. Like that is so, so cool that I've had like some sort of effect on on particularly a young person as well there's something about like kind of molding the minds of young people and being like you know inspiring them to like get into this hobby i think it's so cool so michael thanks for listening thanks for watching that's class that's awesome keep doing your thing man that's awesome that's really sweet um it was a great one and i read it to the captain as well we had a moment of like oh that's really lovely uh (laughs) and it was really nice as well like because again when you work on the internet you do spend an awful lot of your time um Dealing with like not so nice comments, mm-hmm. which is fine, but sometimes you can kind of feel like, geez, the world fle- like hates me. Like everyone thinks I'm wrong about everything, and it's really nice every so often you get an email and you're kind of like, ah, oh, it's okay. I guess I do <laughs> something good. So that was, it happened. It, it came at one of those times, Michael. The la- email landed right, the, just the right time. It was class. So yeah, thanks for watching, Michael. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you want anything in Reddit, Bill? Um, yeah, there was, there was one, one small comment I wanted to bring up from, from the last thread. Um, uh, Kumer was uh, re- re- referring to your point from the last episode about referencing con worlds within literature. Cool mayor of the uh, official Artifexian coat of arms. Fame. The now official Artifexian coat of arms, indeed. Exactly. <laughs> um and uh, his point was, I agree that if writers aren't careful, it could definitely break immersion. Uh, for example, the writers of Batman Begins, uh, they changed the location of the Wayne's family murder from outside a, a film theater to outside the opera, because mm-hmm. like putting the putting a film within a film would have kind of broken the immersion. Was apparently their their logic. Um, and yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a concern here, but uh, there's also a lot of counterexamples. So I, I I think yeah I think he he's right and just it has to be handled handled carefully. Mm-hmm. But for example, think how many films are about filmmaking, especially kind of older um, older musicals and stuff. Sound of Music, not Sound of Music. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, not Sound of Music. The si- singing in the rain. Sorry, we began with the sibilant, and that threw me off. Um, singing in the rain is all about filmmaking. I've and never, it's all, it's a, never seen. You've it. Never seen singing in the rain. I know the song, never seen the film. Oh, uh, actually, the, the, that's not even the best song in it. Oh right. Um, oh. Yeah, uh, make him laugh is is a much better uh, bit, and 
Good Morning. They're, they're my, my favourite bits. Um, not that I have strong feelings about musical theatre. Um, <laughs> actually, in general, I really don't like it, but that's not the point. Um, and I think Easter, is it Easter Parade is another one, which is all about, all about actors and all about uh, theatre and filmmaking and stuff. Mm-hmm. So there, there are a lot of examples of it. Um, Colmer mentions one here, uh, Borges' work, Tlone Ukbar Orbius Tertius, where he goes two con worlds deep. So I guess there's a story within a story within a story. Uh-huh. Um, but that makes sense within Borges' you know, greater, um, catalogue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely a concern, but it's, it's one, that can be done, but you know, I think you've, you have to be careful about it. And I guess the um, singing in the rain example and all that is uh, an example of write what you know because they were actors and mm. directors and things, writing about being actors and directors and the perils and process of making a film. Uh, I think the Batman example. I don't. I, I think the writers kind of thought about that a little bit too much. I don't think if you died in the cinema. Uh, that would have been a problem because cinemas are everyday occurrences. Mm. um, Whereas, you know, con langing is not. Um, Yeah. You bring something that's very odd uh, to a world, uh, it can stick out. But if if you're just dealing with something that's, yeah, intrinsic to life, like cinemas and things like that, Mm. I don't think it's a problem. Um, In The Last Airbender, uh, uh, Korra, The Legend of Korra, um, there's a big part of it where one of the characters becomes a movie star. No, no way. Yeah, and like now that you brought it up, I'm kind of like, oh, that should break immersion, but it didn't when I was watching it. Um, maybe because th- the writers were portraying the world of the last Airbender modernizing and kind of industrializing, mm-hmm. and so the idea that that cinema would crop up felt kind of natural and stuff like that. So again, yeah, I suppose it goes to the your previous point that if it's done well, it's fine. But, but yeah, the Batman writers, I don't, yeah, they should have just included the cinema, it's fine. <laughs> no one cares. I, this, the opera probably makes it seem more like they're a family of great wealth. Yeah. Um, visually, it works better, I think. But yeah, the concern about confusion or uh, snapping out of immersion, I think is completely unwarranted. Is about my opinion. The, about the movie star thing, do you know Pachovia? Uh, no. He was a Mexican general. He was okay. a, I think... I'm not great in the history of Mexico. I'm just going to say that right out. Um, Sorry to the listener who really likes Mexico. Apologies. I, I thought he was. Uh, I think. I think he's a revolutionary. Okay. Um, but while like being a general, you know, in an active war, he was also starring in Hollywood films about himself being a general in. Class. The Mexican Revolution. <laughs> Class. So he was like he was like fighting and then like crossing the border of going into California, <laughs> shooting some films about himself, and then going back and fighting more. <laughs> That's class. Oh man. Humans, man. Humans, they're deadly. <laughs> so this is another uh, thing I've written set in Yanspar. Cool. And it refers to a character I don't think I've brought up on air or in oh. anything I've, I've published before. Mm. Uh, the character of Amarand. 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 Uh, so I guess I'll just uh, dive right in. Yeah, go for it. <clears throat> Come forth ye and hear the tale of Amarand. Sailor, warrior, lover, 
adventurer. Who among ye has not heard the name? Why, in his centuries on Yanspar, Amaran's name has been spoken in every corner of civilization. What has Amarand not done? I shall tell you of his exploits and deeds, his triumphs and tragedies, as recounted to me by the man himself. For yes, I was a shipmate of Amarand, though he travelled under the guise of a common sailor. And where else to recount these tales but here in Salaka, the city of his father? Amarand the sailor, born on a ship to an Ishkone captain, Amarand is more sea creature than mortal. He has circumnavigated the world a dozen times in each direction. Amarand the warrior. Amarand has shed blood in every land and upon every sea of Yanspar, in wars and in duels, serving now as an officer, now as a lowly foot soldier, now as a dashing mercenary, and then as a follower. Amarand the pirate. Breaking all taboos of his native people, Amarand preyed on the trade of the oceans. The noble sailor became a raider, the most fearsome corsair of the southern seas, and led a fleet of brigands like none other ever seen. Amarand the king, in distant Glaare, Amaran reigned over a land of peace and freedom, a pirate nation of daring and romance. Amarand the lover, the passions of Amarand are almost greater than a mortal can know. The story of Amarand is one of stealing into forts to free his love from chains, of embraces with angels and monsters, of romances that span centuries and continents. Amarand the Explorer, from the icy mountains deep within Kuathona, to the jungles of Zili and the plains of Arecho, there's no land where Amarand's foot has yet to tread. He sailed to the peak itself, yes, my friends, and he told me his path. Conversations with gods, battles with wizards, and adventure! These tales I will tell you, dear listeners, and I will tell you in the Rothschild Theatre, where the noble patrons of this fine establishment have allowed me to share my tale. Every night after close of market, I can be found in the lesser gallery, and for but a small entrance fee, the tale of my old shipmate, that unique and extraordinary person, can be heard. Jeez, man, you really got into the voice acting there. Uh, I almost definitely overdid that, but anyway. Adventure! <laughs> All right, man. Well, he, that, he's it, trying to sell his theatre show. He's trying to sell his theatre show. That's, that's, the, that's true. He has to overdo it. He does. He does. He has to sell it. Uh, man, this is a change of pace from the usual stuff. Cool. Yeah, which is really, really cool. Uh, off air, you mentioned that there was like a thing at the end. Uh, like uh, was it? Did you say subtle dig or something? Like, like a, a kind of a, tw- a twist, sort of at the end, which is that it, this is just an ad. It's just a guy like oh. promoting his show. Like it's it's not. I I I hadn't intended that to be obvious at the start. It was meant to be like here's a guy actually telling you a story, but no, he's just trying to get you to the theater where he can tell a story. There. Oh, you see, I I took it after you'd mentioned that there's something at the end because I I didn't see the uh the ad thing as being like a, a revelation. It's kind of like, oh, well, that's cool. He's a, he's an ad guy. Uh or he's selling a show. I thought the sort of subtle thing was uh the line where the noble patrons have allowed me to speak of it. I was kind of mm. like, is this propaganda? 
is this some sort of like like they've allowed me as in like the the rich people are all kind of like we need to tell this tale of you know this nationalistic figure or whatever um that's what i thought and also uh this is kind of like uh goes in contrary to this the previous point but uh the idea that he's uh, he's speaking in the lesser gallery uh, mm. Maybe an idea that uh, maybe perhaps this Amaran character isn't actually all that well known uh, and uh, like isn't liable to pull in a whole bunch of crowds. Uh, so <laughs> they're having him speak in the lesser theater and he just thinks really highly of this dude, but no one else really cares. So I got the impression that he might be standing in the market on his own little soapbox with no one paying attention to him, which I thought was <laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> uh, that wasn't what I was going for, but that's that's a possibility. Death to the order, right? <laughs> That's cool. That's really, that's really, really cool. Is is Amarand? Uh, is this legitimate? Is is Amarand a great character, or is this just like some fictional story that this dude is uh, wanting people to come see? Um, Amarand is well known. He is well known. Okay. Yes. And well known as being a doer of all these things. I'm assuming this is like hyperbolic, like the the lover who has whose love has spanned <laughs> countries and centuries. Um, that's gotta be like unless he's some sort of magical being that has to be like a whole bunch of hyperbole and the pirate and the warrior and the king and it's like okay this guy has done everything I suppose well he is centuries old he is centuries old well that's certainly what this guy seems to be saying (laughs) huh Uh, okay again but didn't we establish the last time that people on your world live roughly about human ages is this guy human um Yes, we did, but it is also a fictional world where I like to have fun things happen. Okay, so this guy happens to have lived for centuries. Throughout his wanderings around the world, has he perhaps come across a magical ring that grants both invisibility and unnatural long life? Uh, mm, no. <laughs> Lord Rings. Um, I know. <laughs> the uh, Oh, centuries old, that's interesting. Hmm. You're not going to share with me why or how this happens, given that most people live to be human ages. Mm, no. no, there, there is a, there is a context to it that makes sense with to the listeners, to to the two people within Yanspar, hmm. which I will share. I will share at, a, at a, another date. Ooh, interesting! All mm. these teasers, all these teasers, always. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I liked it. It was cool. It was really cool. I, I also, I re, I, man, I really enjoy your names. The names of places are great. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I, I, oh, I, I to talk about this before. Like, I really struggle with consistent naming, and mm-hmm. you, your names always seem to kind of like make a lot of sense. Like, they seem to come from the same places. Like the jungles of Mfazili. Uh, Mfazili, yeah. Mfazili, like that. Okay, maybe this is like a biased Western century, but that sounds like somewhat African to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, oh, I can place that in my head. And uh, things like Aishkona sound like uh, a, a a totally different place. You know, like it's not just mm-hmm. this like homogenous bunch of uh, of made up words. Greyberg. Greyberg. <laughs> Greystones. What a terrible name for a place. <laughs> Greystones. <laughs> Uh, it's a place in Ireland for for uh, non non Irish listeners. Um, yeah, man, it's cool. Any other any uh, hidden tidbits that you you would like to share that I'm not getting at? Um, let me think about this. So yeah, uh, Amarand is half uh, Ishkone. His mother was uh, an Ishkone fleet captain, and his father 
this guy is claiming was from Salaka. Right. Um, so I guess he was conceived in port and then born at sea. Um, and as I kind of mentioned before, the, the Ishkone are very much a, are largely a, a sort of a seafaring people because they, their, their shtick is they went forth from their home continent and spread the word of the peak mm-hmm. to the, to the rest of the world. And those that are still kind of interacting with the rest of the world tend to do so, um, in, in fleets yeah. that, that kind of make these long voyages to the all around, like they circle in every direction and so on. Um, uh, so that's, that's kind of his, his origin. I have a question. Yep. Uh, not really of Jan's part, but of, of, of real life. Uh, mm-hmm. if you're born at sea, mm-hmm. what, what's your status? Like if you're born in the boat in the middle of the Atlantic, what are you? Like nationality wise. Yeah. Like what's your legal status? Like legally, what does it mean to be born on like a boat or a plane? Uh, well, it depends. I mean, you can be, you don't have to be born within a country to get it to, to, to be a citizen or to, to gain nationality. Like if you're born to, to Irish parents, yeah, you're Irish. That's fair. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything weird legally that happens if you are born in international waters or international airways? <laughs> uh, whatever it's called. Because I'd imagine there must be something that's, that kind of would be odd. Because it's, a, it's, a, it's a, not a normal circumstance. I'm, I'm sure there is something, yeah. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's, that's his origin. And he is uh, a really famous character within, within Janspar. Uh, and the way I'm presenting it here is kind of like intended to, it's inspired, I guess, a bit by my interest in Conan and in characters in historical fiction who always seemed to be at the most interesting thing that was happening at that point in history. Like, uh, you know, I love the, the, the Sharp books by Bernard Cornwell. Um, and he's, Sharp is at every significant battle of the Peninsular War and he's the, he's the only person oh, there's only one known person in history who was at both Trafalgar and Waterloo but uh, the the author puts Sharp at both of them as well just kind of for the crack yeah you know he's, he's you know has he's, he's yeah he's kind of a, a, an adventure hero in mm. the way he's being portrayed by this guy and, and again but that's not necessarily true because it, this could be just like a work of fiction Yes. Like he's, yeah, necessarily Amaranth, Amaranth is not necessarily at all these things and doing all these things all the time and it's probably inflated somewhat. Yeah, yeah, no, this this is a guy who was selling a story and, you know, the, the thing about him being um, Amaranth's shipmate is, you know, it's like a guy down the pub who swears that he met, I don't know, Muhammad Ali or something. You yeah. Know, it's like, it's just like some yeah. guy's story is all we have to go on here. There's no particular reason to take him seriously. I lo- I, I kind of like how you have like the un- uh, unreliable narrator thing, but mm-hmm. it's like almost two levels of it. Uh, in this, it's like yeah, m- meta unreliable narrator <laughs> narrator crack. It's great. I really like it. It's really cool. Um, yeah, man, that's that's great. Thank you. Uh, is there anything else, or is that closing remarks on your end? Um. I think I think that's everything. 
man, we always spend so long in follow up, and then when it comes to the actual like thing that's meant to be considered the main topic, it's kind of like, you know, we read the thing and there's a couple of questions, and then it's like, well, that that's partially my fault for for writing Yanspar again. I didn't have anything for for Handwavia this this week, and I no, can no. I can talk at more length about Handwavia. No, but not not even. But it's like I always find that the the main topic stuff is less prone to digressions uh, than the follow up and green room thing. Mm. Um, just naturally for, for for whatever reason, um, because I suppose because you're focused in on this one thing, whereas the other two sections are kind of more open ended. So it's always really weird when I'm editing. I'm kind of like, geez, that main topic was very small, and then there's like a giant green room at the end. I feel like this is going to be one of those episodes. <laughs> But that's cool. That's entirely fine. Again, like we can do whatever we want. Like it's totally cool. Um, yeah, good bit of pros, man. I very much enjoyed the uh, different turn of pace. It'd be cool. It's cool seeing a bit of the arts creep in. Uh, it's really fun. Mm. It's really bombastic uh, and over the top. Uh, <laughs> one of the rules I gave myself is there had to be at least one exclamation mark in every paragraph. <laughs> Congratulations, man! You know, you know my hatred of the exclamation mark, and thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of it myself, but it's, it, it was, it was fitting for this guy's enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely fitting here. Exclamation marks are fine as long as there's no ambiguity. Um, mm-hmm. But like, if someone like texts back, say uh, the word "fine" with an exclamation mark, like you don't know whether or not that's actually fine or is that fine with sarcasm or is that fine with anger or like, cause it's not fine with enthusiasm. No one ever says oh, that's fine and is intensely enthusiastic about it. It can be very confusing there, but if you're kind of mm. like adventurer and you have an exclamation mark, that, that is fitting. That is correct. Um, I, I have to say, I said there that I don't, I'm not a big fan of them. And I meant that in my kind of proper writing, but in informal communication, I think I overuse them. So I'm, I'm probably one. Of, I'm probably part of the problem you're talking about. You are slightly, to be fair, but uh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Well, I, I should be sorry for being the problem. No, I, but yeah, yeah, formal writing as well. Yeah, I suppose uh, exclamation marks should be avoided. Um, one does not read very many scientific papers with exclamation marks everywhere, unless you're dealing with uh, factorials. factorials. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, we do some Edgar world building. Let's do some Edgar world building. Um, as always, the way the segment always starts is my whirlwind comes in the form of making videos. And the video I just made uh, was a follow-up on the Atmospheres video from mm-hmm. last time. Uh, and this specifically is a video talking about wind patterns. And uh, less specifically, more like a little bit of weather. Because I find that very often weather is not really discussed in a world building sphere. Um, and I thought it'd be important just to highlight some of the interesting weather things that are easily defined and can be easily discussed because very often weather is insanely complicated and hard to talk about. Um, so have you watched the video? And if so, I have watched the video. Do you have your uh, your slew of very difficult to answer questions for me? <laughs> um, I have one question about the the thing you bring up at the end. Uh, yes, you're saying that's if it's a big secret and you're like, oh, I don't want to say okay. anything. At, at the end, you, you, you kind of make, um, a, you kind of remix Mordor. I do. Mordor 2.0. Is Mordor tropical though? No, but I moved it into the tropics. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's not fine. tropical. It's more southern than the Shire. 
Uh, I don't know if Tolkien's maps give lines of longitude and latitude, but from the films, uh, at least, you don't get the impression that Mordor is tropical. Um, How far south is Mordor? <laughs> what are you going to get from that? Yeah, I was about to say, you're not going to get very much from that. <laughs> um, but I mean, like, yeah, without lines of latitude, um, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, it's kind of open for interpretation. But yeah, I was very much playing with Mordor. And essentially, I just wanted a big-ass excuse to talk about uh, Lake Maracaibo in Venezuela and it's mm. uh, Catatumbo Lightning, it's called. Um, and I thought Wait, we could... hold on. I, I just put in Mordor Latitude and I've got a got a, a, a result here. I have no idea what this is going to do. You have no idea what this is going to do? Apparently, there's a place called Mordor in Texas. <laughs> Mordor, Texas. Oh, I love it. Let me have a look. Let me have a yeah, look. Yeah, there, there is a Mordor in Texas. Mordor in... I, do, I wonder, do they play up... Uh, or maybe that's just where they filmed Mordor? I, I don't know. I got a thing here. The Shire in New Zealand, Mordor... Oh, Mordor in South Texas. Oh, maybe they filmed it, yes. Yeah. Oh, it could be. Oh, I didn't know that's that. That's disappointing. That's interesting. Uh, I wouldn't put it past there being some sort of Mordor in the world. I mean, like, it's it's not like... That's not an uncommon set of syllables. Um, but but apparently it's comparable in size to Texas. Mordor. It's point six five times the size of Texas, which is that's close enough, I guess. Oh, interesting, interesting. Huh. Huh. Very interesting. Uh, there we I, go. Anyway, <laughs> I, I also thought that it was it, it would be nice to bring up Mordor because I think Mordor gets an awful lot of stick for having terrible mountain ranges that make no sense. Hmm. Mainly because they look so square and they're just drawn very square, but you could chalk that out to stylization on, on part of the map maker. Yeah, uh, uh, historical maps often look like that. Exactly, yeah. Um, but I think it's also, I, it was worth noting as well that like Venezuela is essentially, or Lake Maracaibo is essentially Mordor-esque in being encased in mountains. And you can kind of be like, oh, I can see how the plate tectonics play out to give that. Um, mm. So I wanted to kind of like um, subtly talk about the fact that Mordor is okay. Don't give it such a hard time. It's fine. We should give Tolkien's prose more of a hard time than anything else. <laughs> um, so is that your only question? Jesus, I thought you'd have something like, you know, can you explain to me the exact uh, fluid dynamics that go into describing things? I'm like, uh, no. Well, can you? No. Okay. <laughs> fluid dynamics is awful. I hate fluid dynamics. It's, just, it's, so, it's so opaque. And you're like, oh, God. As an outsider, you're like, I, I don't know what's going on. I have no, no concept what's going on. Um, but anyway, uh, things uh, I would why, like... why does... Why do you lose all of your northward momentum? Why, why does the wind lose its, its northward momentum with the Coriolis effect? Why doesn't it just kind of keep going slightly north? Why does it eventually go totally east and then turn south again because okay the turning south thing is that it co- it, it cools and sinks like that's yeah. a pro- property of air so uh the but the the going to the east is like if you impart a lot of like latitudinal uh force i'm going to use bad words here so i'm really sorry yeah. on the thing eventually it's just it's going to overpower the northward thing uh the northward momentum and it'll functionally be going to the east right that doesn't make sense to me that it would it would have zero northward anymore. Do you I know, I, do you need zero in order for it to just kind of like uh, it to kind of like trigger the sort of like going well, back to around? Yes. Well, 
I mean, because it's not going further north anymore. So that's zero. If it wasn't zero, it would still be going north to some small degree. Yes, but is that small degree so small that it doesn't that it doesn't matter? That like and other complications of the atmosphere will override that. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you do like you obviously don't need to be functionally zero because you don't need to be absolutely zero because I mean it's not how it plays out. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I have no idea. All the explanations okay. I've read and heard have been that it, yeah, it like Coriolis force deflects it to the to to the right in the northern hemisphere, and then at about thirty degrees, it's going such to the right that it's not hitting the poles and it's uh, dropped down. Um, okay. But yeah, again, I, I I don't know. I don't know. Uh, unfortunately, I'm sorry. I'm not a scientist. Uh, now, t- two things I'd like to bring up. Just uh, one as a clarification thing, and one as a talking point. Uh, the uh, vo- uh, one very astute commenter whose name I I can't remember because it was in the YouTube comments, and there's uh, a lot of them. Was like uh, the model you give for tidally locked planets, the wind patterns you give, is that also dependent on rotation? And the answer is yes. And I think people mm-hmm. very often forget that tidally locked planets rotate. Like they think they don't rotate, but they do rotate. Um, that's what tidal lock is. Like it's a rotation rate that matches the year. Um, so if it rotates counterclockwise, uh, the you will have these eastward uh, uh, strong winds as per the video. And if it rotates uh, clockwise, it'll reverse in direction. Yeah. That's important to point that out. Makes sense. And it's something I probably should have dropped in there, but I just, it just, I, I, I forgot. So apologies, internet, uh, be aware of that. Um, would it even make sense to have a, a planet that doesn't rotate? Oh, that would be that. That would be if its day was the same as its year, I guess. So, yeah, that would be the only way to to I, I could think of that it would be. I don't. Do we have? Oh no! Is, is that tidally locking? Hold on, let me think about this for a second. That no, that, that is tidally locking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. So. Do we have ex- we don't have exam I mean I, I can I can imagine how this works. Let me think about it for a second how to explain it. I'm gonna draw this out here. <laughs> Our timer bill. Happy little planets. <laughs> Happy little planet. <laughs> right, so I've drawn I've drawn an orbit here, right? So the sun is in the center. Right. And I've drawn a planet at the bottom, right? Okay. In so six the, o'clock position. In the six o'clock position. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's facing let's let's say up to the top of the page is north, right? I know that's not actually anything to do with magnetic north, but just to orient yourself on the page. Yes. And so the the northernmost point of the of the planet is pointing towards the sun. Now if we bring that around to the nine o'clock position. And keep the northernmost point of the planet that was originally pointing north, still pointing north. And then at 12 o'clock, still pointing north. So it's now in total nighttime. Mm-hmm. And then around at 3 o'clock, if it's still pointing north, then it's, uh, yeah, it's just breaking dawn there. Yeah, I'm, I'm imagining that you, you would... So that's like, yeah, it's day is, is the same as it's year. Yeah, it's yes, yes, it's days the same as a year. Yeah, and that is different from tidally locked planets in that there is no real day night cycle. 
Uh, there is a day-night cycle in the non-rotating, in quotes, mm-hmm. Earth. It's the same as year. Yeah. Uh, you... Although this doesn't actually have a day by a certain definition because it isn't rotating. Right. Yeah, yeah. You get really tricky with, with the definitions there. But, yeah. it, uh... It's a perceived day, but it's wait, not actually on. a rotational day or ha- a sidereal ha- day or whatever. No, but hang on now. Hang on now. Wait, wait. Is it not rotating, though? Because no. would you not need to rotate it to some degree to get it at those four points lined up. Oh, no, no. No, no. Yeah. Uh, Hold on, I'll send you a photograph of this. No, 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 I got it, I got it. Uh, I'm trying no, to think to. now, that doesn't occur. I'm, uh, thanks, Bill. I'm assuming that doesn't occur in real life. Like, things have angular momentum. Yeah, like, almost momentum certainly not. Yeah. Um, might be an interesting thing to explore in a fictional setting, like what the hell that would work out as. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. I hadn't thought of that. That's interesting. Um, are you sending me that picture? I am, yeah. You can throw it in the show notes. <laughs> Wonderful artwork. Is, is this on Actually, Skype? Crop, no, in Messenger. Crop crop the top of it there where there's a bit of text. Uh, Secret files that we don't want to put in the show notes. That's, Bill, that's, that's a stunning picture. I didn't take Junior Sir Art for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> links in the show notes uh, so anyway that was the point about uh, tidally locked planets uh, the, the, t- the talking point I'd like to bring up with you is uh, guns, germs and steel yes uh, this is well trodden territory for podcasts particularly those who listen to Hello Internet but let's try and tackle this in sort of a world building sort of sense have you read guns, germs and steel Bill and if so I have not finished it you have not but you've, you've attempted to read it yeah I'm just really bad at non-fiction Really? Oh, interesting. I find nonfiction very difficult to read. Yeah, I, I, I can't. No matter how interested I am in, in the subject matter, it, it doesn't hold my attention the way fiction does. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, I'm finding myself getting more and more drawn to nonfiction these days. Maybe mm-hmm. because I spend most of my time reading nonfiction and researching the videos, so I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, what do you think of Guns, Germs, and Steel? As a out-of-the-world-building sphere, just as a work of historical theory. Um, I recognize the flaws in it. Okay. I, I, I understand that it's, it's, it's got flaws and stuff, but a lot of the, the flaws that I, I've read in it seem like specific things that he could have done better. And they don't, to me, refute the basic thesis. Right. Okay. They don't. They don't refute the the essential central point of it. Are, are you on board? Oh, for those who haven't read the book, and you should read the book. It's it's quite easy to digest. It's it's written in a very pop science sort of uh, manner. Like it's not it's not heavy duty going. Um, the TLDR of the book is that um, Jared Diamond, the writer, sets out to the, to basically answer the question: Why did history play out the way it did? Mm-hmm. Why did uh, Western civilizations come to dominate the world. Why aren't? Why wasn't there like a uh, Australian empire, a great Australian empire throughout history? And mm. spoilers, he essentially argues that it, it's environment, it's environmental determinism that made made it such that Western civilization flourished more. Um, that being like you know climate availability of crops availability of domestic animals uh, all the right components were in Eurasia and were lacking to uh, to some extent in different areas of the world that's the essential thesis so mm-hmm. do you so do you agree with the thesis of it 
I mean, it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a, I'm not a historian or, or a environment, um, an ecologist or anything. Um, but it's, it's a compelling and seems at like a pretty believable, <coughs> pardon me. Pardon you. Um, yeah, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's, I like that it's a, in, in how he has constructed and how he conceives of it, it's an explicitly non-racist explanation right. for, for why things played out the way they were. It's not Europeans did better because Europeans are the best. It was the Europeans did better because they got lucky, because they happened to be where things were, be- were best equipped for that to happen. Interesting. I think I think you've inadvertently hit on why I think Guns, Germs, and Steel is great world-building fodder, uh, but I don't think it's great historical. Uh, it is a great historical work. Um, mm-hmm. There's a large section of uh, historians, especially on Reddit, who despise that book, mm-hmm. who think it's just like bargain bin, awful, misrepresentative, oversimplified nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I... I'm not a historian, so, you know, everything I say is taken with a grain of salt, but I think uh, the problem with Guns, Gerbs, and Steel is that he doubles down too much on one explanation. He's like, environmental determinism is the thing that caused this, and that's it. Whereas I think most historians say, yeah, environmental determinism is a part of it, but there's also way, like, loads of other factors that play into it where he Mm -hmm. doesn't really deal with that. So I think that's the problem from a historian's point of view. Uh, if you are a historian and that's wrong, please contact me and tell me why I'm wrong about that. But from a world-building point of view, I think it's a great book because intuitively, like you said, it makes sense to people. It's like, oh, okay, so in order for a civilization to do really, really well, you need to have all these bits around, like you need to live in the right, you know, the right climate zone, uh, the right animals, uh, all this sort of jazz. Uh, intuitively, that makes sense. So if one applies it and like uh, analyzes it and works with it in a fictional sense, I think it can be really useful. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a flawed bit, bit of actual history, I think as a world building thing, it, it's, it's really useful um, yeah. because it is so intuitive. And most people can kind of grasp that, be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You apply that to a world and yeah. then immediately people are like, that makes sense. That's like Earth. That's like that jarred diamond thing I wrote. Um, if you don't have horses and iron, you can't like have a big cavalry army to conquer your neighbor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, or rather, if you don't have domesticatable horse-like creatures. Yeah. Um, I mean, like camels would, would work. Uh, mm-hmm. as, yeah. Um, but yeah, so because I got a few comments being like, be careful with the guns, German steel thing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm totally with you. Guns, German steel, I think. You explicitly is... said that on your thing. <laughs> I you did. Were being careful I, with it. <laughs> I, I did. I did. Yeah. Uh, so I, ju- I suppose just to make it absolutely clear, I, I think it's, it's not the best uh, a bit of historical work. It's oversimplified. Uh, mm-hmm. But as such, I think it's actually a great bit of world building work. And I think what's particularly cool is like, uh, like, analyzing it in a fictional setting, like assume it to be utterly true and see where the consequences take you in a story or do the opposite, assume it to be utterly false and see where the consequences take you in a story. Mm-hmm. I think that could be really interesting. Um, so yeah, that is that is what I would like to, uh, what, uh, what I was going to say about that. Mm-hmm. Any questions? No. Someone did send us an email 
mentioning it. We're not recently. an email, man. <laughs> no, but it's relevant. Or maybe someone said it on on the Reddit for your most recent video because you mentioned guns, germs, and steel. We and we brought this up before the um, the World Bank, I think it was, or the, the Dream Bank World thing, the world building re- website where the guy made a lot of different versions of Earth and stuff. Oh yes, I remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, sorry, here it is. It's it's on it's on uh, our sub actually. Lukewarm soda uh, links to it. Uh, Geradia, which yeah, it's on World Dream Bank. We we talked about this website before, um, and he he takes the, the guy behind this takes that as a starting point. He what you said about the the zonal regions, mm-hmm. zonal land masses. He uh, finds what the largest possible or the the broadest possible zonal land mass we could make on earth by just altering the tilt and altering the orientation. Oh, what would that be? Um, well, you can look at this website and find out. <laughs> um, you essentially get hmm. the, the equator runs from, let me figure this. So that's Antarctica in the East and it runs up along through Patagonia, up the Andes, uh, through kind of the Caribbean and Florida, up through Canada uh, down through Siberia and China and Southeast Asia. Oh, that's that's the way the the equator lies. So you've basically got the entire Eurasian American landmass um, as a temperate zone. Uh, wow. The, the, what is currently the Pacific the Pacific Rim is like a a, a straight ish line at around. Uh, kind of between 15... Well, between the equator and, and 30 degrees south. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, see, that, that's a good sort of, like, usage of guns, germs, and steel, mm. uh, I, I think. Take take those concepts and work with them in fiction. Um, yeah, I like that. It's cool. Uh, links in the show notes for everyone. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I, can, I, can I finish up with one last thing? Uh, I have a world-building challenge I'd like to put out there. Sure. To compete with Bill's World Building Challenge, who were were still receiving emails about that, which I think is madness. <laughs> <laughs> like that was that was like uh, how that was like in our first, the first couple, episode. Was it the first, the very first? No, that was the knitting challenge. Oh, okay. But it was one of the first ones, and like we've been doing this for years now, mm-hmm. and we're still getting it's it's crazy. So anyway, to compete with Bill, uh, I I mentioned in the previous show, I think it was the previous show about like uh, cooperative sports. Mm-hmm. And like, what would a sport look like if uh, it wasn't based on some sort of warfare analog? Um, and like, I talked more about this uh, after recording. this. like, that's a really interesting idea. And I was coming up with nothing. So I want to put it out there. World building challenge. Can you send me uh, cooperative sports? Particularly, I'm looking for cooperative physical sports. Um, like that would involve, you know, kicking something around or whatever. Like, I'm not really looking for uh, cooperative sports in the sense of, like, some sort of board game or, like, some sort of dart-like thing. Something mm-hmm. that we would immediately think of as being, like, football. Darts is physical. Darts, darts, is, phys- darts, is, darts is not physical, sorry. Darts, darts, darts is physical. You have to physically throw a thing into a thing. Uh, but, but, okay, chess is physical. You have to physically pick up pieces and put things down. I mean, No, because on. that's not, the, that's not the, the core skill of it. You don't get marked on how accurately you move the pieces. 
Oh, uh, okay, that's fair. But I, I don't know. I would define physical as being like, does one have to train for this? And I know you're going to say now. Train no, for but darts. You have to train for the. But you train for darts to like train senses, but you don't need to train muscles per se. Like I, I can, to do, man. I can hit a dartboard without having ever played darts before. My accuracy may not be very good, but that's a sense sensory sort of thing. I don't need to spend loads of time in the gym. Uh, to try and build up stamina and muscle to be able to try and... Is archery a sport? Is archery a sport? Well, archery is a sport, yes. Is archery a physical sport? I would say... <laughs> uh, okay, it's, it's, you're making a distinction between physical sport and sport rather than it not being physical at all. Yeah, yeah. It's, no, no, I'm not okay. saying that dart, hmm. dart isn't a sport. Dart's not... A, like, dart is a sport. Like, that... That I, I I think dart is a sport, but dart's not a okay. physical sport. And I'm again, I'm with regards to this challenge. I, I, I would I see the distinction you're making. I'm not sure physical is the word I would use, but I think I see the distinction you're making. Mm, maybe I need a better word. Okay, okay, we're going to go with physical for now. Uh, we can mull it up. We can mull it out in in something. <laughs> but yeah, so I I would like uh, people to send me examples of cooperative physical sports. Um, that are not competitive and not like person A or team A needs to beat team uh, team B or person B. Um, yeah, let me know what you got, Internet. I'd be very intrigued to hear. For sure, for sure. Phil, Eurovision. The Eurovision. The Eurovision. For those who don't know, uh, the Eurovision is a European, Europe-wide song contest every country uh sends in a uh, a contestant to sing an original song um they there's a whole like semi-final stage of the thing they get through the final they all sing together and then they win and it's great and it's wonderful and it's super colorful it's great um i was watching it last month it was on last month um and a thought occurred the mm-hmm. voting system that is used to determine the winner do you know what that is and is this a voting system that could be applied to fictional worlds? Um, what the voting system is, I do know this. Um, oh. so there's a there's a public vote. There's a public vote. Each each country has a public vote where people phone in for the act they they liked the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and the top is it ten countries? As well, for in each country, like the, you, you can't vote for yourself, of course. Um, and the the top, I think, ten countries in that that your country has voted for get awarded points, and it's like twelve points, ten points, and then eight down to one, something like that. Yeah, you they get assigned the top, the top ranking ones get assigned a value, uh, a weighted value based on uh, how how much people voted for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and every country does this. And there's also, each country has a panel of professional judges. And this is quite a new thing. This is only the last few years of Eurovision. Mm-hmm. Um, who do the same. They choose their top 10 or whatever many and assign points as well. And so the idea behind this, uh, for people who don't know the Eurovision, is that uh, previously the Eurovision became very um, like colloquial, almost. Like all all neighbouring countries would just vote for each other. Um, yeah. Not unless mal- they hated each other. Unless they hated each other. And not maliciously or anything. It was more, uh, I always put it down to like, 
people from neighboring countries have somewhat similar culture and will probably enjoy the music from those countries more. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, we've got a lot of cultural ties with the UK. In the UK, a lot of cultural ties with us, so we tend to vote for each other. Right, exactly. And uh, so in order to stop this block voting, uh, the Eurovision was like, we need to bring on a uh, panel of experts, like Bill explained. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the final vote then is a combination of the public and the uh, professional votes. So it's like this b- bizarre voting system that's like democracy, but also like meritocracy in a way. Um, and I don't know if this crops up anywhere else other than Eurovision. And I don't know if it's if there's a name on this voting system. Uh, do you know this at all? I don't. But let's ask Wikipedia. Because that would be really interesting. And like while you're while you're Wikipediaing, um, like I thought to myself, well, wouldn't this be kind of a sort of cool way to run a country? As in, you have a popular vote. But in order to, like, not let populism get out oh of control... Oh, my God, I nailed it. You nailed it? 12 points, 10 points, and then 8 to 1. Just off memory. I haven't. I didn't even watch it this year. Just off memory. Nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the... Uh, like, it would be a great way to, like, um, prevent rampant populism. That you have a democratic popular vote, but you also have, like, this check with like a meritocracy type vote, mm-hmm. which I guess is maybe sort of like what the states sort of have with the electoral college. Uh, but that that's a, sort of a thing, a mechanism whereby they can reverse the popular vote, but it's not actually like taking it, like they're not a supplementary vote that yeah. gets added to it. They're not equally weighted. Right. And like, I think that could be a really interesting system for a country to do, to mm-hmm. employ this sort of thing. Um, thoughts? I'm trying to think of this in practical terms, how you would... How you would get that? How do you appoint those experts? Yeah, I mean, so what's the role of a politician, right? Or like any sort of ruler is to craft laws and to make sure we follow those laws, yeah? Yeah. So one then could say that the panel of experts in this fictional country might be just judges, like judges from each um, jurisdiction. Right, and they their vote would be get will get mixed in with the populist vote as well. Mm-hmm. Like you could you could do that. Like that could be quite yeah. interesting. Um, I mean, but then would you? You'd have oh, there's a there's a name for that a rule rule by judges. Hold on. Um, the, then like you would you would want to have it that the judges were necessarily experts in the given field because you wouldn't want a load of like legal experts voting on nuclear power because it wouldn't be something that they'd know about yeah but you could also say then like you'd want critarchy a critarchy is rule a government by judges hmm but you could also say the same thing for what we have now is like should politicians really be the ones to uh be in charge of like nuclear power like what they are not that's that's a fair point yeah that's a fair point um and i guess at the moment they do have advisors and stuff and presumably this would be the same Mm -hmm. exactly yeah i wonder could you even have a system where you have a popular vote but then the government or maybe this is a little bit too kind of like uh 
uh, incestuous in a way, but like the government also votes. So you have a popular vote mixed with the governmental vote. So you have like the sort of the, the in quotes, experts in government uh, getting their say on what they think, the, how the country should be run. And then you have you mix that in with the popular vote. That could be another system. Uh, but when do we use that? Like, does that mean that every issue becomes a popular vote? No, no, but in determining uh, the next government. Like, for elections, basically. Like, I'm not. So, as in, I'm, like, the, this, the this, popular vote decides who the government is, and then the government vote on whether the laws get passed. No, no, no. The, uh, the popular vote. That's what we have. Right, no, no, no. The, I, I know. The, pop, <laughs> the popular vote and the governmental vote decide what the government is. So the government just keep voting themselves in. Well, yeah, okay, yeah, fair. That is entirely fair. But then replace the government with judges. So the popular vote and the judges vote on what the next government will be. That uh, damages the... There should be separation between the judiciary and the legislature. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But by kind of modern conceptions of, of democracy, etc. Yeah, that's fair. Like, it, it's very difficult to try and set up a sort of, like, a meritocracy because you're like, you know, who has merit then, like... Uh, yeah. But I, st- I, st- I, st- I think the Eurovision voting method could make for a really cool system of government. Like, sure. in, in a world... Like, even if you settle up to be horrendously flawed, whereby the mer- like the people who have the, the meritocratic uh, status are decidedly not meritocratic at all, not merit-based mm-hmm. at all, that could be really interesting. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really... I thought that that would be really fun and a really cool idea to explore. So just put it out there for people. Um, yeah, for sure. I leave a link to to the Eurovision Wikipedia. You can have a look at it for world building fodder. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? Who'd have um, thunk it? Congratu- just, congratulations! Whoever sings the best song becomes the the country that chairs the European Commission for the next year. Oh, yes, Bill. Yes. Oh man, that's great. Actually, no, just broader, right? Whoever sings the best just gets to run the country. I think I, I, I think we, we should amalgamate like America's got talent with the presidential election. That's essentially what we should do. I want to see Jed Bush sing. <laughs> sing an old Sinatra classic. <laughs> Jed um, Bush, what would he sing? Uh, I don't know, it'd be something horrifically boring and nondescript. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Americans. Uh <laughs> I could see I could see him doing doing a a, a passable attempt at uh, one more for the road. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd man, I'd have him down as a Sinatra sort of guy. Oh no, do you know what I have him down as? I'd have him down as like singing out of the Great American Songbook. Uh, uh, mm. If if I had to specify a genre, I would have said like kind of fairly safe country music. From a couple of decades ago. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not far off. Oh, what do you think uh, Obama would sing? Oh, actually, we've we've heard him sing lots when he was in office. Um, Did he sing? Yeah, yeah. They were, they had this one gathering at the White House uh, where they had a blues band on. Um, okay. And he got up and sang "Sweet Home Chicago." Um, he did like okay. a chorus. Um, so I'm imagining he would sing kind of like yeah. smooth, smooth blues. <laughs> that would be well, he he's, he is he is Chicago, isn't he? He is, he is. Yeah, and yeah. So blues would, blues would make sense. Yeah, and we heard him sing "Amazing Grace" uh, as well. Um, he was given a speech and he broke into uh, into "Amazing Grace." Was it to cel- not to celebrate someone's death, but like to to mourn mm-hmm. uh, the passing of someone or people? I can't remember. Uh, what okay. do you think? What do you think Trump would sing? That's a really difficult one, man. I think. Like, 
does does Trump listen to music? <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Not a guaranteed yes. I don't think. No, not a guaranteed yes. Like that. You know, be... like Thatcher had had absolutely no interest in music whatsoever. She like didn't believe in culture or arts at all. <laughs> or her her favorite. Her favorite band was oh, it's something like really like dreadfully bad. Um, <laughs> let me Google. It was like, I would imagine. How she... much is the doggy in the window? Was Margaret Thatcher's favorite song apparently. No, like yeah. the, the nursery rhyme. Well, like it's like a novelty song. Yeah. Wow, that's mad. I reckon Theresa May would be of a similar ilk. I can I can't imagine her being all like uh, yeah, um, Wiz Khalifa. <laughs> <laughs> I, I reckon she'd like say something that she thought was cool but would like to have completely misaimed it yeah yeah definitely definitely yeah. Um, Where, whereas uh, Corbin and like I, I actually think this is uh, got, it got to kind of cringy levels but it was funny at first um, was was named as like a a, a legitimate roadman by was it by Skepta or someone? Well, hang on, man. There's so much here that I don't understand. What is a road man and what is Skepta? Okay, so Skepta's a grime MC. Oh, okay, all right, okay. And a, and and a, and a road, road man, man is like a. It's like a term used in in grime, um, for like a a cool guy or like a, a good MC or something like that. Uh, this not not the same as a hype man, no. No, 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 no. no. Okay, not the same as a hype man. Okay. That's that's crazy that yeah. Jeremy Corbyn would be seen like this. Um, well, he, yeah, he, there was like a huge thing uh, around the election last year, like uh, grime for Corbyn. Grime for thing. Corbyn. Yeah, yeah, and uh, what's what's actually? I'm gonna I'm gonna have to figure this out. Skepta, what was Skepta's collective called? Why why are you figuring out? Uh, people in the US who may not be aware of this, Corbyn is like the leader of the opposition party. Um, currently in the United Kingdom. In the United Kingdom, yes. Uh, Theresa May is the uh, Prime Minister and Corbyn's the leader of the uh, the opposition. Um, is there anything in, L- in there that... Boy Better Know, that was it. Someone, and someone added to him... Uh, um, Boy Better Know is a grime collective and someone added him to the roster of members on Wikipedia. <laughs> that was it. And they added like Labour Manifesto 2017 to the list of Boy Better Know releases. That's that is spectacular. Yeah, it was I, it was really really funny. <laughs> I, I love that so much. That is amazing. Uh, anyway, so th- that is Eurovision uh, voting system. Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. Shall mm. we move on to uh, uh, some uh, Star Wars Star Wars spoilers? Let's let's move on to some uh, astral conflict spoilers. Uh, Solitude, an astral conflict's tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, to take the Grathian, McGrathian, uh, uh, what's it called nomenclature, um, yeah. So, uh, Gre- uh, we've established many shows ago that the Green Room contains spoilers, but just to reiterate, there will be spoilers here. If you have not seen uh, Solo, a Star Wars story, you may need to stop here. We will not talk about anything else after this, so you're totally cool just cutting off here and and moving along. Uh, but for those who have and would like to hear our opinion on this, we're going to talk relatively briefly about Solo. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do you want to? What did you think? Not much. Not much. It was just. It was. It was kind of nothing. I did, I didn't really think. Even like watching it, I wasn't even feeling anything or thinking much. It was just like, this is a experience I am currently undergoing. <laughs> uh, I have somewhat the same feelings as you, having seen it. 
except I would lean more to the side of like it was fun. Like it was fun meh. Like it was a, it was a fun whatever 2 hours in the cinema, but I'm not like wow that was a that was a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um there was bits in it that is there anything in it that you particularly disliked? Because I have one thing in it that I very much disliked uh and was like I cannot believe that they did that. What the hell? Um I thought the whole thing in the in the Maelstrom was awful. The whole thing in the Maelstrom was awful. Like the bit when they were after they they escaped from the place where they stole all the fuel and they were bringing it to be refined, um, and they went into like the uncharted bit, mm. you know, um, the uncharted area of space, and there was they were chased by the monster, and uh, yeah, I just I just thought it was terrible. It um, was really it was really visually ugly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. difficult. It was difficult to look at. It was. It didn't like I had no sense of scale or of anything that was happening. It didn't make any sense, either narratively or visually, or kind of even within the context of. I know I know science is a very very loose concept in <laughs> Star Wars at the best of times. So this this is just all over the place. I thought. Yeah, you could have taken that bit out, and it would have been fine. Uh, like they could have yeah. presented a lot more dangers or other dangers, other than all that. Like you didn't need a maelstrom or a giant space whale thing. And uh, the, the the you know it's like the whole thing about the the castle run. They did the castle run and however many parsecs, and that was like a big iconic thing. In in like oh, I wonder what that is sort of deal in the background of Star Wars, and it just came out really flat and ugly. Yeah, I don't know if that was lifted directly from old expanded universe because I I knew that there were stories about like explaining the Kessel Run. There were, yeah. So I don't know if that if if that this is Disney's own take on it or they just lifted it. Um, I I I don't I don't think they should have done that with the Kessel Run because you know what's you know what's really stupid, right? About the whole thing, mm-hmm. I thought is that okay. We have this thing called the Kessel Run. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And it's like a system of like these tunnels that go through this big cloud or whatever. Yeah. It like y- you haven't done the Kessel Run in whatever distance you've done it in if you go off the system of tunnels. You know? That's like yeah. saying like I ran the 800 meters in 50 meters because I cut across the things like well no <laughs> You didn't do the 800 meters. Because I hopped the fence. (laughs) Right, exactly. It's like the Kessel Run is this, um, is this like a trail or whatever, right? And like that's doing the Kessel Run. Going off somewhere else is not doing the Kessel Run. So it's kind of like, that's a bit pointless. Like, so I think they should have just left it, uh, be ambiguous and only real nerds would be all like, Parsec is a unit of distance, not a unit of time. No one would really care. That's fine, you know. Like I just, uh, I uh, that was real immersion break. It was kind of like you haven't done anything here. You've went off course. Great, that's wonderful, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, I didn't, I didn't quite like that bit. Um, that's not the bit that really annoyed me. What was the bit that really annoyed you? The bit that really annoyed me is was the droid. The droid. Oh, the droid. Calrissian's uh, navigator. Calrissian's navigator. That really angered me now to to put my stall out here like i am not the like we are both liberals here bill yeah i think um, i think we are for varying definitions of the word maybe right but yeah exactly and i i think i lie more 
to the center than you do, which is totally fine. Um, and I think you're definitely a lot more liberal uh, with um, social uh, constructs than I am. Um, and as such, I think I would be a person that would be would have would have been okay with that droid. But even me, I was kind of like, no, 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 this droid is taking this too far because essentially it was a bit of a kind of like grotesque, uh, like feminist sort of stereotype, you know, with the all like, oh, this is like, um, what's called, um, or not even that, or could even be a grotesque, like racist stereotype, like black stereotype, because it's kind of like, oh, discrimination and you're all holding us back and like, oh, all this sort of jazz. And it's like, everything about that character was, was gross and like especially I made me think of feminism as well because the character was kind of like made to look kind of like a, a sort of like um, a uh, sort of oddly proportioned sort of woman with big hips and it's kind of this like mad yeah. crazy woman who like spouts nonsense about being you know equal and things like that and I was like this is this is disgusting like what are you doing here and again I'm not a person who usually gets outraged by a whole load of social issues and so again, I would be, I think I'd be a person to be like, that's fine. I don't care. But this really pissed me off. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, and this goes further to my point about Disney and their, uh, what's called gender, uh, uh, politics in their video, uh, in their, in their films, because it's like lots of people celebrate Disney and I'm, I take a lot more conservative a stance with Disney and its gender politics because it's like, okay, like Disney do great things with gender politics, but they will turn at an instance when it suits them. And I was kind of watching this going, Disney have turned. They have taken, you know, they do really well with Ray and things like that. And that's great. And now they've just kind of made this grotesque mockery of uh, minority groups who seek equality. And I was like, this is absolutely gross, Disney. Don't do this. It's terrible. Hmm. Sorry. That that really angered me. (laughs) (laughs) I, I couldn't tell. (laughs) <laughs> uh, did, did did this cross your mind when watching it at all? Um, or am I way bit. am I way off here? Like, am I kind of like Edgar? You're literally reading stuff in there that is not present. No, I, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. I didn't. It didn't ups, upset me to the same extent. Hmm. Um, but yeah, no. Like, I, I can see your concern. Um, I I didn't take that character as being m- meant to parody or meant to satirize um people concerned about social issues in general or to satirize those issues it was just meant to be this is a ridiculous over-the-top person now that that could be on me um hmm that that might be that, that might be my failing but that was that was kind of where i felt with it what i felt with it uh what did you think about the lando part when the droid dies which bit? The, the droid, the, the droid dies, and he's holding the droid in in in, in his arms. And yeah, there's this Pieta. Pieta? Isn't that the, the sculpture? Oh, of like Mary holding Jesus. Oh, interesting. Did they did they riff off that? I don't, I don't know if they did, but it was it was that kind of scenario, wasn't it? Yes, like he it was. was carrying it, yes, her. yes, yeah. exactly. It was that kind of scenario. Uh, did you get the sort of weird, sort of like Lando maybe having sex with this droid vibes that I got? Um, I mean, that was acknowledged otherwise, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, like the droid said something uh, earlier about kind of like, uh, it's possible or whatever. But then when when the droid dies, like he, he has this sort of like real, like I have lost like a loved one. And not even like I care. It was kind of almost like this was my like sexual partner. And I felt really weird. It was like, 
what? It was so odd. It was so bizarre. Like, it, it looked like I was watching a really crap parody. Like, <laughs> I don't know, man, like, I don't know. And again, maybe I was the only one, but, but I was just kind of like, uh, this is, this is odd. Like, bizarre. I don't know. Did you not feel any of this? I I see what you mean. I, I, I didn't think it was that far. It was just like, I, like it was like, oh, I've lost a friend. Oh man, I I know. Maybe we weren't rewatching it then. I I was not. I was not hit with this. This was a friend. I was hit with this was a. This was a like a, a love interest. And like I did a bit of re- research after it. I literally googled was uh, was Lando f- his robot. Uh, <laughs> You're on a watch list now. I know, right? Uh, and the loads of other sites were discussing it. Like, I'm not the only one here. Like, it's kind of, people were kind of like, that was really weird. He's having sex with his robot. I'm like, like, why even do this if there is going to be missive? Like, if Disney didn't mean that, that's fine. That, that's totally cool. But like, they spun it in such a way that like, you could read into that really easily. And it's kind of like, don't do that. Like, what's, yeah. what's wrong with you? Oh. In summary, uh, it was fine apart from the the weird robot. The robot basically ruins the whole thing. Like, but uh, take aside the robot, and it's like it's it's cool. Uh, I really mm-hmm. liked at the end. I liked all the double crossing, uh, and it got almost kind of like comically uh, over the top, where it's kind of like I double crossed you, and oh, but I double crossed you, and I double crossed you, and it was, it was kind of like it was a bit of fun. Like it was grand. Uh, it's this is not a movie that people will be referencing and talking about for many years to come it was a whole bunch of meh in my opinion Mm. what i didn't like now that i think about it was it implies at the end that he he wins the the millennium falcon back from lando and then he goes straight to tatooine and straight into a new hope right yeah yeah so that means that like han solo's backstory is actually tiny yeah, Hans Hans Solo's backstory is, is three hours prior to the beginning of the the events of New Hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't do a very expansive thing. Well, man, to be fair, they 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 covered it from childhood in a way. You know, uh, oh no, no, he wasn't a kid. No, he wasn't a kid. Sorry, at the start, he was not a kid. He was a. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, like his his thing with the with the Millennium Falcon, it's like, oh, this he's just done one thing in the Falcon. I, you know, I like to think of him as you know, kind of a, a bit older and a bit more hardened and a bit right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been around a bit more. Yeah, that that, yeah, that I, is fair. I, I think it detracts from his character a little bit. That is that is entirely fair. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, man, to be fair though, because we have kind of grown up, and people older than us more so uh, again have grown up building this uh, imaginary uh, backstory for these characters that we loved. It's always going to detract. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's never it's never going to live up to what we have in our minds. Like in our minds, like Han Solo is like the coolest. Uh, space mercenary dude, uh, space rogue, space scoundrel that we have ever known, and anything that's per- portrayed is just going to be oh, that's lesser than what I was thinking in my head. Um, mm. That such is the nature of these things. Uh, Edgar, have, have you have you watched? I may have brought this up before. Have you watched the thick of it? You brought this up before, and I have not watched the thick of it. <laughs> What's relevant? Uh, because there's um there's a scene in the thick of it where the main character is trying to describe star wars but he doesn't know what the film's called and he doesn't <laughs> actually know anything about star wars and <laughs> yeah. I, I i initially saw this and i didn't know what he was talking about i didn't know what he was like getting to i yeah. didn't know he was trying to explain star wars and it is 
no, it's unfortunately I've kind of given it away if anyone does ever watch it. Um, but it's absolutely hysterical. Like I cried with laughter when I saw it. That I we've linked this before. I remember it now. I've we've linked it before. Uh, we're, I'll read. I'll link it again. <laughs> it's, really it's it's fabulous. It's fabulous. Um, final point. Um, on my end, uh, I'll throw it over cool. to you in a second. Um. The uh, another thing I had a problem with, well, not a problem. It was kind of like that was a weird choice on the part of the writers. Is the uh, getting his name, how he's called Han Solo. Mm. Uh, he was at like customs. <laughs> I was like, "What's your name, Han?" And then he was like, uh, uh, "I was like Han what?" He's like, uh, "Whatever. I have no family or whatever." He said, and then he was like, "Okay, I named Who are your the- people." What? What? The the recruiter asks him, "Who are your people?" Right, exactly. He's like, "I have no people, or whatever." And then he, the the, the recruiter's kind of like, "Oh, I named the Han Solo," and he just stuck with it. Like, man, that is that's a bit weird. Like, I like that. Did you? Yeah. Oh, like I I felt like there didn't need to be a bit of lore put in there. He's just called Han Solo because he's Han Solo. It's fine. Like, you know, like I don't know. I just had that was. A bit... It makes a bit more sense that he's a recruiter who has an official position like that than just being someone at customs. Yeah, yeah, but the whole thing I'm I'm arguing doesn't make any sense. Just just don't mm-hmm. even have that thing. Just be like, you know, <laughs> he goes up to be recruited. He's like, "What's your name?" And he goes, "Han Solo," and then that's fine. <laughs> like, what an unnecessary bit of lore! And it's like, does it really add anything to him? Like, does it maybe it makes him more mysterious? We don't really know what his second name is. I don't know, but it's not. I was kind of like, that's a bit weird, um, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Anyway, any any final thoughts on your end? Uh, Paul Bettany's brilliant. I, I don't know who that is. The guy who was the, the baddie, the, the crime lord. Oh, man. Was he in A Knight's Tale? I think he was. I've never seen A Knight's Tale, but I think he was. A Knight's Tale, like, I'm not even joking here, is one of the greatest movies ever made. I don't know anyone who do- who has seen it that doesn't like it. Okay. Oh, that, I thought I'd be alone because it's kind of like a little bit silly and stuff, but it's great. Like, it's so good. I remember as a kid watching the scene where uh, they're at the tournament, uh, the tourney or whatever they're called. Yeah. The, the jousting thing. Uh, and they start uh, singing Queen and they're, they're in like the bleachers, the ye olde bleachers. And they're singing, we will rock you mm. with all the rhythm. And it's just like, this is, this is, this is a great deal of crack. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's vision. In the Marvel universe, I don't watch Marvel films, so. Oh, I thought I thought, I thought we'd we talked about that. My, my bad. Um, and he's the he's one of the main characters in Master and Commander. Ah, yes, this is why Bill likes him. Largely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We've hit on. The point. Oh, he plays the, he plays the best character in the books. Who like isn't that great a character in the film? They don't really do much in the film. It, man, um, he strikes me as a very versatile actor. Like in the Night's Tale, he goes from being kind of like the kind of like a sniveling sort of a poet sort of thing and it goes through mm-hmm. quite a journey in a night's tale and in this one he's um he's like this badass crime lord um mm. he seems a very versatile actor it's very good um oh he's in he's in the uh, a beautiful mind i haven't seen that but it's meant to be good he's in a beautiful mind wait whoa, whoa. he's Apparently in, wait, so. a he's in a beautiful mind and b you haven't seen a beautiful mind no never man you gotta watch Be- beautiful mind is great yeah. So, oh, it's so good. It's up there with like Goodwill Hunting as a sort of. I always put those two together as being these similar esque films that are really great, like really mm. great films. Um, I do love a Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting is very good. It's very very good. It's very quotable as well. So I enjoy I enjoy a quotable film. Um, the yeah yeah so um, yeah that that's that's Star Wars for me. Um, meh. 
Some bits were annoying. Overall, it's kind of like that. That that that's grand. I have yeah. actually sorry. Last last thing, um, <laughs> uh, I have changed my tone with regards to Star Wars. Okay. I have been too serious about Star Wars in the past, like getting really angry at the Force Awakening for Force Awakens for being derivative nonsense, uh, getting really angry at the Last Jedi because it was nonsensical uh, the whole way through, and all this sort of jazz. And I, th- I think I'm missing the point, right? And I think the point is that we're all meant to go to the cinema and just watch the space conflicts. That's it. Just, just. Doesn't matter if they're good or bad. These are not like this is not Schindler's List, right? And I should hold them to a lesser standard than Schindler's List. It should just be: Was I moderately entertained for these two hours? Uh, that that should be the standard. And as such, yeah. I'm, I'm lo- I've looked back on the other ones and kind of been like, you know, what, Force Awakens, fine. I was entertained. It's cool. I don't need to get uh, uh, upset about whether or not I think it's derivative. The Last Jedi. It's grand, like it's you know, like there's there's problems with it, but overall, like it, it's not boring. Like, is it boring? No, fine, okay. Star Wars, same thing with Solo. Um, but I gotta I gotta stop thinking about these as being kind of like deep, like artistic films. They're not. They're blockbusters that are designed to just thrill and uh, make you feel all happy when you hear the Star Wars music, and that's that's the standard by which I'm going to be holding them from now on. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, so all so Star Wars... Uh, entertainment should be entertaining. Yeah, just... Uh, that, And that is... And I don't think that means that you can't criticise it, but there's just there's a different mode of criticism. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, I'm still going to complain about Star Wars, but <laughs> I'm not going to get uh, bent out of shape over it. Uh, it's not that big a deal. It's just they're fun popcorn-style films. That's grand. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. That was the last, last thing. Uh have you got anything to add, or shall we call it a day just before the two-hour mark? Let's call it a day there. Cool. All right. Uh, Bill, thanks for talking to me as always. Thanks to the listeners for listening. I haven't given a shout-out to... Listeners. The, I, I haven't given a shout-out to the Patreons in a long, long time. Uh, so, shout-out to the Patreons. Thank you for supporting the show. You guys uh, rule. You guys rule. Um, we'll see you all next post-next video. Have a good one. Edgar out. Edgar out. Edgar out.